Welcome to A Bigger Life, where you can break through the distractions, stop, listen, and speak to God in prayer. I'm Dave Cover. I want to help you use the Bible as your conversation with God so you can live a bigger life. One of the things I love about the Bible, and I've mentioned this a lot of times, I've been mentioning it, in fact, in these latest episodes, but in some places it gives us information, principles, and defines things for us, but in other places it gives us pictures, imagination, it depicts truth for us. And so, in some sense, there's information, but imagination, at least in my life, and I think in the life of most people, and that's why the Bible does it, imagination takes our heart a lot farther than just mere information. Pictures give us a lot more understanding than just mere principles. When the Bible depicts something in a story and through illustrative language, metaphorical language, that helps us a lot more than just simply defining things. And we see that particularly in Genesis 1 through 3. It's filled with all kinds of paintings, pictures, word images that I think travel a lot farther, at least in my heart, at least in motivating me to live in the bigger story, help me understand the bigger story, than just mere information ever could. So I want to go back again to Genesis 2 and pick up the story in verse 8. It says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. So so he takes this man he had formed and places him in the garden. He wasn't formed in the garden. He wasn't created in the garden. He was outside the garden. Whatever's outside the garden, God took this man that he had made and put him in the garden. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. There's process there that requires time. Made trees grow out of the ground, not just one day. The Lord God had made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. So God's creating things not just for utilitarian purposes. He's creating things for the sake of beauty. He's creating things for the sake of pleasure. He wants his people to enjoy the beauty and the pleasure, the good taste, the delight to the eyes and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So we're we're shown this picture of abundance. God has created this place that has beauty. It has pleasure, great tasting fruit, beautiful trees. And then it zeroes in on two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Think of a camera zooming in now, closing up the story to two choices. So we pick up in verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. And then it says in verse 25, the man and his wife were both naked 
and felt no shame. Now, we talked a lot about that in the previous episode. There's a lot of word imagery here. These trees that are beautiful, full of fruit that's good tasting, abundance, all kinds of trees. And he's there in the garden. They're there in the garden to care for it, to work it. This is not a drudgery. This is not a punishment. This is part of flourishing. Part of the joy of being in the image of God is partnering with God to care for his beautiful and productive creation for a purpose, for a reason. It's as if there's this garden that has all kinds of potentialities for life and growth and beauty and pleasure And we are put in the garden in order to enhance those things. God is for those things and wants us to continue partnering with him as we care for that, build that kind of world, spread Eden throughout the world. So the man and his wife were both completely exposed to each other. They feared no rejection, completely vulnerable. They didn't fear anything that would not be enough in them. They didn't fear complete exposure because they felt no shame. All kinds of things that we can talk about in just that one sentence. But if you've seen the movie Alien, the first one, and when the creature, you know, the man looks over this egg, they see these eggs in this cave, you know, it has this eerie feeling to it. And they see these these eggs and the man looks over the egg and this creature suddenly, the egg opens up and the creature flies out and onto the face of the guy and clamps onto the face, that starts the plot of the movie. And Genesis 3 is kind of like that scene in the bigger story of the Bible. We see it in the very next verse, chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. We talked about that in the last episode. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, notice what he's doing here. He is shrinking down the abundance. He's shrinking down their view of the world to see something very small and to see scarcity and to get them from seeing the abundance of what God has provided and this big world story that God has provided for Adam and Eve, all these trees that are pleasing to the eye and good for food, and they are free to eat from any one of them except for one. But what the serpent does, because he's crafty more than anything else God had made, he is getting the whole view inverted upside down so that they see scarcity instead of abundance. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? You can't eat trees. You can't eat from the trees. Now, you know, Eve says, no, we, we can. We're just not allowed to, to eat from the one tree that is in the middle of the garden. God said, if we touch it, you will die. Now, God never said if you touch it. He said if you eat from it. So all of a sudden, in the whole scheme of things, even God's prohibition is being expanded. They can't even touch the tree. And that's kind of what Satan does. He he blows up the scarcity as something God is holding out on us, and he shrinks down the abundance so that we don't see God's will as providing abundance. We see it as limited. We see it as small. Of course, the exact opposite is happening. He is luring us into smallness 
and away from big blue sky abundance. Away from this view of a big blue sky with mountains and the Milky Way galaxy above the stars. And we go into a cave and we're looking over an egg. And now this creature comes out and it clamps on our face because we buy into the lie. And so it says in verse he says, you're not going to die. And he says in verse five, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. God's holding out on you. God's trying to keep you from seeing things fully. God is not for your good. God is for his own good. And he's trying to keep you from good. So verse six, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. These words are the pattern we see all throughout the Bible when somebody does something really stupid and selfish and blows it and brings scarcity instead of abundance. And so you see these words that she saw, she desired, she took, and she ate. Those same Hebrew words are used with David when he sees Bathsheba on the roof, he saw, he desired, he took, he ate, so to speak. And so you have all of these stories in the Bible, repetition of that kind of pattern where we enter into a cave instead of this big blue sky. We leave the big blue sky into a cave because how we see and therefore what we desire and therefore what we take is distorted, is inverted, is turned upside down. So then we talked in the last episode about what happened after that, that their eyes were open and they saw shame and they covered themselves, all that kind of stuff, hid themselves. But I want to skip to verse 22 today in this episode. It says, and the Lord God said, and he's talking now among himself, perhaps the angelic beings that when he said, let us make man in our image, he's going back to talking to himself in a plurality first person, so probably spiritual beings, the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. That's a really hard sentence to really understand. I don't know quite what that means. The best way I've always kind of interpreted that as God saying something along the lines of, he now thinks he knows how to determine good and evil like us, but he doesn't. He's become like one of us, knowing good and evil, but he really doesn't know good and evil is the idea. I think it's a bit sarcastic. The Bible has a lot of that. It goes on to say, he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. The idea here is there's nothing worse than immortal evil, that God as a mercy did not want humanity to be stuck forever in this place of shame, this place of dysfunction, this place of distorted good and evil. God is taking away our access to the tree of life. That's a mercy. That's a grace so that we would not live forever in our brokenness and we would never be able to be healed. It goes on to say this. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. Again, the Bible's coming back to this idea that outside the garden, there's this ground of thorns and thistles and dust and death from which the man had been taken. He'd been brought into the garden, but now he's being kicked out of the garden to have to work the ground from which he had been taken. 
It goes on to say, after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden, carabim, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, this is imagery. This is a picture. This is imagination more than information. There's a lot of questions that are going unanswered here. But it's giving us this story. It's giving us this poetic portrait. It's giving us imagination to understand something about what the tree of life is and something about the human condition now that we've been exiled away from this land of delight. We've been exiled from the tree of life. We've been cast out into the outside of Eden where there's thorns and thistles and dust and death. And we have to work that land. We're not able now to spread Eden. The whole point was to spread Eden, to fill the earth and subdue it, and spread Eden throughout the world and replace the thorns and thistles and dust and death with uh, every tree that is good for food and pleasing to the eye and the stream that flows from the presence of God and the tree of life and all this beauty and glory and delight of God's presence, the flourishing, the abundance of God's presence that would fill the earth as humans in God's image walking with God, co-creating, co-caring with God over his creation. We would fill the earth with Eden and replace death with life, replace scarcity with abundance, replace desolation with the living water of God's presence. But that didn't happen. So the plot of the Bible story is what should be is not. It's, it's on hold. It, what should be has been lost temporarily. And we are in this place of exile, desolation. So when you understand Genesis 3, and when you understand the Genesis 3 world as exile from what God intended for us to have, exile from what he intended the earth to be filled with, you'll understand better the rest of the story of the Bible, the role of Jesus in coming to earth, being born into the human race, being born into this world of darkness as a great light. And you kind of understand the themes of what the church calls Advent, which just simply means arrival, coming. This idea of the first coming of Christ, a light into the darkness, but that's the already not yet of the story. It's continuing. We're still in exile, but the one who's going to bring back heaven to earth has already come. He's died to take the death that we must certainly die for eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He broke through the other side of that death. He rose from the dead to reboot those who are in him to rise again without evil, but to be immortal without evil, to live forever, but in glory and righteousness and love and beauty and with God. God will be our God and we will be his people. When you understand the Genesis 3 world as exile, you are better able to understand the role of what Christ is doing and what the bigger story of the gospel is. That's why we pray it as part of the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This idea of the kingdom of heaven coming back to earth, the will of God of flourishing and abundance, all that is desirable to the eyes and good for food coming back to earth 
through Christ, through his kingdom. That's why the New Testament picks up this language of exile. Peter calls the believers in Christ exiles. The The author of Hebrews talks about this world being we're foreigners and sojourners in exile as we're waiting for a better country whose architect and builder is God. The picture of Abraham and the Isaac and Jacob sojourning in tents in the promised land, but not possessing the promised land yet, is a picture of what believers in Christ are in this world. We are in this world, but we don't possess it yet. Even though all authority, Jesus says, has been given to him to go all throughout the earth to make disciples, that's what's happening in this story, but it's an already not yet kind of thing. Believers in Jesus are exiles. We're sojourners, living in tents, so to speak, in the very land that's been promised for us to possess. And it's already happened in the resurrection of Jesus. It's already begun. So then later, when Israel is actually exiled, that they're, they're taken by a foreign power, by Babylon, well, that Judah is taken by Babylon, the other ten tribes of Israel are taken by the Assyrians a little over a century earlier. But either way, Israel, Judah, the, they were taken as exiles, and we think about Judah, taken as exiles and taken to Babylon. And so they're taken out of the promised land. It's a picture of being kicked out of Eden. They're taken out of the promised land and they have to be sent east. Just like this east of Eden language in Genesis 3, they have to go east to Babylon as exiles. And God speaks through the prophet Jeremiah to the Jews who are in exile. And he says in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29.10, this is what God says, I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place, this place being the land of promise. What Jeremiah here is talking about literally is the poetic story of the Bible. God is going to bring us back to Eden, this place from which we've been exiled. So listen to the language again. I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. So the idea of welfare, some translations say plans for prosperity, and this is the idea of plans for abundance and not for scarcity, plans for to give you a future and a hope. And this is the whole promise of God in the gospel, to bring us back into Eden by bringing Eden back to earth and bringing abundance back to earth, replacing the thorns and thistles and dust and death with every tree that is pleasing to the eye and good for food idea. But you have to understand the Bible's picture of this world as exile. And that's why the language all throughout the Bible is this kind of language of while we wait for God, while we wait for a savior, while we wait for his salvation, while we wait for the kingdom of God, there's this sense in which this earth is in exile. We as believers in Christ are in exile and we're waiting to be brought back in. We're waiting for this renewal of creation. 
the renewal of creation when when Jesus returns. And so remember, God said to Adam, cursed is the ground because of you. And so you're going to have to work. It's going to bear thorns and thistles, dust and death. That's because Eden's not going to spread. And and so the Romans 8 talks about creation now is waiting for the children of God to be revealed. In other words, for Christ to come back and for our resurrection. And so the earth creation itself can have this eventual resurrection again to the fruitfulness, the abundance, to every tree good for the eye or good for food and pleasing to the eye and the abundance of God's will. I know my plans for you, God says, plans for to give you a future and a hope, plans for your prosperity and not for evil. God is bringing Eden back to earth. And that's the story that I want to be in. That's the bigger story I want to live my life in now. I want to see my life inside that story. And so this idea of FOMO, this fear of missing out, everybody's going to miss out in exile. Everybody misses out east of Eden. Everybody misses out because Eden is where the only place that we don't miss is found. And so when I'm in the bigger story, I don't have to have FOMO because every other story is the real FOMO. Satan's trying to make me think that the Eden story is FOMO, but the fear of missing out. But every other story is the real fear of missing out, the real missing out. Eden is the only story where there is no FOMO. So don't let my life, I don't want to let my story get inverted to where I see things upside down. And and that's why I think it's really interesting that when Jesus, the night he was arrested, he went into the garden of Gethsemane. And again, the Bible's picking up this imagery. It's giving us this painting, this imagination instead of just information. Jesus, the true son of God, the real Adam who's going to take back Genesis 1, 26 through 28, this being created in the image of God and ruling over his earth, ruling over the world as co-creators, those who are in the image of God, representing the glory and love of God and, and, and cultivating God's earth of abundance, that Jesus goes into the garden and he goes back to the two trees. He goes back to the choice of God's will or another will. And so you see this whole thing where he's praying, it says three times because he doesn't want to go to the cross. And it says three times he prays, if there's any other way, let's find it. But he says, not my will, but yours be done. Three times, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. And now in the Bible, three is a number for significance. It has something to do with God's eternal plan, God's godness, his eternality. And Jesus is saying three times, kind of like when you says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Repeating something three times kind of has this ultimate, glorious, exalted godness to it. And Jesus is saying, not my will, but yours be done to show this eternal, ultimate reality of what God is going to do on this earth through Jesus's obedience to the Father by going to the cross. Jesus had the choice between two trees, and he chose the tree of life and not the tree of evil. And every day you and I have that same choice between the tree of life and the tree of good and evil. Every single day 
we have these choices ahead of us of what to choose. I think of it sometimes, I illustrate it through this thing where I think about this this circle on the ground, like a hula hoop. Just imagine a hula hoop kind of lying on the ground. And inside that hula hoop, inside that circle represents this idea of the tree of life, the idea of not my will, but yours be done because my will is scarcity. My will is going to not bring abundance. It's going to be, it's going to bring emptiness. It's going to bring nothing but darkness and chaos. My will is exile and God's will is every tree that is pleasing to the eye and good for food. And I am free to eat from any tree in the garden except for the one. And so do I want to choose God's abundance, which is his will, or do I want to buy into this inverted scarcity abundance equation that Satan brings because of his craftiness? And through my fear of missing out, I actually embrace scarcity and reject abundance. Every time you see and desire and take and eat outside the will of God, brings more scarcity and less abundance. We think the exact opposite. We think we're grabbing abundance and dealing with scarcity by taking and eating, but it does the exact opposite. All throughout the Bible, what they thought was going to bring abundance was actually going to bring scarcity, going to take them into the cave, going to open up the egg and put the creature on their mouth. Anytime you see and desire and take and eat, Disobeying the commandment of God always brings scarcity, is always rejecting God's abundance. Abundance is only in the will of the source of all existence and the giver of all life and the one who inhabits eternity. Do I want to fall for that trick or do I want to acknowledge what Jesus knew? And that is, even if it means suffering right now in exile, the will of God in exile, if it means suffering, still the will of God is ultimately to give me a future and a hope. The will of God is God's plans for me to cause me to prosper, to have abundance and not scarcity. Inside the circle, if I step inside the circle, if I step inside the will of God for me, that's the tree of life. That's returning to the Eden. That's returning to this abundance and where I am free. But if I stay outside the circle because I'm afraid of missing out, I think the circle is scarcity because right now it looks small. It's inside this hula hoop. I think the abundance is outside, but the abundance outside is scarcity. It's exile. And inside that will of God, it looks limited, but it really is the only path to the Eden, this whole free to eat from every tree that is pleasing to the eye and good for food. So I have to ask myself, what do I want? Do I want God's will or do I believe in my will? And if I understand this incredible story the Bible is telling me, then I'm going to want to be in the only story that has abundance. And that's the story of the tree of life. I want to step inside that circle. Doesn't mean I don't have my my conflicted heart because I don't have 100% belief, but I have enough belief that Jesus came, he died on the cross, he rose from the dead. And that's the story that is the story that's real. I want to step inside that circle. I want to let his crucifixion and the promise of all that God is for me in Jesus change 
how I see this world and change how I see abundance and scarcity right now in this exile and change how I see God's will for my life. Because what keeps me from wanting to step inside that circle is the fear that God is holding out, the fear of missing out, the fear that inside that circle is scarcity and I don't, I want to be outside the circle because I've bought into abundance is outside the will of God and scarcity is inside the will of God lie. I'm afraid that if I step inside the circle of God's will, that God will hold out from me. He's holding back from me. What about you? What are you afraid of? What would keep you from stepping inside that circle where Jesus says, not my will, but yours be done? What would you be afraid of to step inside that circle? Would it be that you think God, if you do, will hold back from you, that God will keep from you abundance and bring you scarcity? When you think those thoughts, can you hear the voice of the serpent in that fear? Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Seems weird. God's trying to hold out on you. Can you just sense that same lie in that fear of God's will in your own life? the turning of abundance and scarcity upside down. Because if you're like me, there's a part of me that still thinks that God can't be totally trusted with everything valuable in my life. That what I want is still what's best for my happiness. Of course, it's silly because God is my creator. He is the I am. He is the source of all existence and the giver of all life. And he's the one who inhabits eternity and understands the full eternal picture of everything now. And he is always 100% present with me with steadfast love and goodness. But there's a part of me that believes all that and yet somehow thinks that inside his will is scarcity and outside is abundance. And that's why praying helps. When I can just say out loud or say, if I can't say it out loud, inside my head to God in a silent prayer, God, you are the I am. You are he is. You are the is that is everything I long for, that is pleasing to the eye and good for food. You are the source of all that is that you created me to want and you created for me to flourish in comes from you. It's ridiculous to think that what I long for in my heart comes from outside your will. It's ridiculous to think that abundance comes from outside the I am, the source of all existence and the giver of all life. Somehow outside of your will is where abundance is and inside your will is scarcity. Now, it's just, it doesn't make any logical sense at all. And it's a, it's a lie from the one who is crafty, who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I trust you. I trust you, Jesus, because you came and you died. You died because your love for me is this desire because of your plans for me to give me prosperity and abundance and not scarcity and evil, to give me a future and a hope because your will for me is life and your will for me is joy and your will for me is shalom, this flourishing, this whole purpose for which you created me to live in this big blue sky Eden of delight of every tree that is 
pleasing to the eye and good for food and everything that that picture represents of this abundance, this joy, this feast at the table is another image in your Bible. This stream of water, of living water that gives life to drink from the river of your delights, to eat at the feast of your abundant table, to live in the abundance of your house. These are all biblical images that are trying to show us this bigger story of all that you are for us, all that you are for me in Jesus. And I want to believe your promise of all that you are for me in Jesus is far more satisfying than the false promises of sin, far more satisfying than the false abundance of the promise of sin. The real scarcity is in sin, and the true abundance is in what Jesus said, what he knew. Not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, God, but yours be done. Your will is life. Your will is joy. Your will is shalom. Your will brings abundance. Your will brings everything my heart longs for. Because your will is Eden, delight, love, goodness. And this world of exile is the world of thorns and thistles and dust and death. And so I want to be able to step inside that circle of your will to step inside that circle. I have to either stay outside or I can step inside. There's no in-between. There's no line. I either step inside or I step outside. Every day there's this choice between the tree of life and the tree of evil. I want to step out of exile into the tree of life. I want to step out of thorns and thistles and dust and death into this abundance Everything that is pleasing to the eye and good for food. Your plans for me to give me a future and a hope. Your plans for me of prosperity and not for evil, not for scarcity. And so I trust your will for me, even if it means like it did for Jesus going to the cross, even if it means suffering for now, that this suffering does not compare to this eternal weight of glory that you have for me, the New Testament says. The glory that will be revealed in me when Jesus returns, this life, new life, abundance, beauty, joy, a new humanity in relationships of love without sin, of being able to be fully exposed to one another without shame, without rejection, without fear that we are not enough but rejoicing in who you made me to be, this stone that you give me that has a name on it, that has this identity that you have for me, that you created me as an individual for to be a part of your new humanity, this infinite love you have for me as an individual. That's the abundance you have for me and your will. I want your will for me, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. Every day I want to choose the tree of life, the tree of abundance, the tree of beauty, and reject the scarcity of Satan's lie that you cannot be trusted. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating so people can find this content more easily or consider texting it to a friend or posting it on social media. Thanks for listening.